Breaking rules, building teams. Why be pre-med? Follow your bliss. I wonder if there's a way to do a sympathetic reading of this. That's what we learned from Legally Blonde. Welcome to Literary Connections. We're friends who started a podcast because we live on opposite sides of the world and we're using books to stay connected. I'm James Earl, consistently scoring a one on leadership. And I'm Melissa Hansen, and I'm unfairly suspicious and highly cute. <laughs> this month, we are reading Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert. And quickly, I would like to remind everybody that we're doing spoilers on this one. We go through the whole book. We don't skip things. And so if you haven't read it and spoilers are something that matter to you, you may want to read it first and then listen. And I would say um, there are some twists, or shall I say cliffhangers or cliff fallers <laughs> if you don't read it in advance that we're going to expose. Right. Parts of this book were definitely like the last episode of a show on Netflix where it was like, well, I guess I have to read the next chapter to make sure that everybody's okay. Because literally one character falls off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, down a hill, down a hill. The outdoors are dangerous. Yes. The outdoors are dangerous. It's about camping. Yeah, we should just go straight into summary. Take us to the outdoors. All right, count me in. Okay. And three, two, one, go. Okay, so we've got two alternating protagonist narrators, and they're somewhere in England. One is a try-hard student named Celine with abandonment issues because her father left her when she was young. Um, she now views her whole life as some sort of revenge narrative to destroy her father by becoming a lawyer and taking down her father's law firm. The second character is Bradley, a gentle soul with OCD who aspires to be a lawyer as well because of his saint of a father Some for some reason like wants him to be a, a lawyer. Um, but really, secretly, Bradley wants to be a science fiction writer. Um, they both end up joining an outdoor adventure camp with high-functioning students, um, and it's run by Celine's lawyer hero named Catherine Breakspear, which is oddly like Shakespeare, and I don't really understand why. <laughs> And it comes with a full scholarship to any university in all of England, it seems. Celine and Bradley, um, they used to be best friends, but a few years ago they got into a crazy fight and said some really terrible things to each other. And they start off the novel Enemies, but then they become friends, and then eventually they become romantic partners. Wow! That's, that was everything. That was the whole plot, yeah. That's what happens when you prepare. Wow! When you actually prepare, when school's over... And this is the first podcast ever recording since school ended. And so you actually get to prepare these things I'm better at. I am giving you a five in commitment. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, if you didn't read the book, there's five characteristics in order to win the scholarship. You need to show resilience, commitment, creative thinking, relationship building, and leadership. Yes. I, I, we could start with this because I think that this is actually really interesting. Yeah. We only find out what their lowest scores were in. And I personally did not clock those weaknesses as weaknesses as the novel was going on. Like I was taking notes throughout about what does this character want? What are the obstacles to getting that thing? What do they actually need? And like under obstacles, I did not have creative thinking as an as an obstacle to Celine doing well in the world and I did not have commitment as a thing that Bradley was in fact I had as a strength of Bradley's he's overly committed to friendships and like does refuses to let them go so I was just curious about Catherine Breakspear and her cronies uh, read on our two protagonists yeah the creative thinking one also was interesting to me because 
the defining characteristic of Celine, other than she wants to be like a badass lawyer who likes is able to like punish her dad for abandoning the family is she has TikTok where she talks about conspiracy theories. Yeah. And if, if there's anything that's creative thinking, it's investigating conspiracy theories and making TikTok videos about them. Yes. Right. Like going deep on them. Yeah. It's a creative enterprise. It's like literally creative. She's creating something. It requires imaginative thinking. It's like all hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. It's like thinking around corners. Like it's literally like the most creative thinking that you can do. Right. So I was trying to do a sympathetic reading of this. And it, like basically there's two options I came up with is that one, it's a comment on how Catherine Breakspear with this reputation and all of this stuff is just ineffective at figuring out what these characters want or what they're good at like that this is just an insufficient process to figure this out engage it and so the book is trying to comment on like the relationship of intelligence and emotional intelligence or something like that where Breakspeare has this reputation for being very clever but then is like unable to actually figure this thing out or the other thing that I was thinking is that it's very clear that Bradley has a lot of creativity. He is a writer. He's like constantly coming up with and thinking about narrative and is always trying to create a new story. So he's got this abundance of creativity. And Celine is deeply committed to her studies and like shows a lot of commitment. So maybe, I don't know, maybe the narrative was trying to say like Bradley has this thing that Celine has a dearth of and Celine has this thing that Bradley has a dearth of and so it's like complementary skill sets. I don't know though. I really don't know why those were the things that they were scored off on. Where I fell on the creative thinking one at least was and the author talks about this a little bit at the end uh, in her author's note about like a lot of this is like honoring her own OCD journey and like Bradley is able to be like a representation of someone who's gone through the process of treating his OCD in like a very productive way and part of that is you're supposed to like acknowledge the distortions and come up with like actually what is happening and what is the fact mm-hmm. and when uh Celine is meeting with Catherine when she's like I need you to be a creative thinker she says we might solve our problems more creatively if we pause to question the underlying premise beneath our established ideas and I think that is the thing that she's trying to push is like Celine is making so many assumptions about other people. Yeah. Which is like works obviously with a classic rom-com trope, but works very well when you're talking about like teenagers too. You're so self-focused in your interpretation. Like she's always like, oh, everything comes so easy for Bradley, blah, blah, blah. But like the the reality is like he's going through horrible OCD mm-hmm. and has all of these challenges. And so I think the creative thinking is you need to break out of your own interpretation of things and just be more flexible. I think that's where it's trying to go is like, how do people address cognitive distortions that are impeding their relationships? Mm -hmm. Because then at the very end, um, Celine gets into therapy. Like, I think that is where it's going. But I think it feels in conflict with her character trait being a conspiracy theorist. Right. No, I think you're you're spot on, right? The, The thing that Catherine is trying to get Celine to understand also is the underlying premise that she has for even wanting to be a lawyer in the first place. Mm-hmm. There's an underlying premise throughout the book that the reason that she's doing this is for some sort of revenge against her father, that she wants to become such an important lawyer that she can buy her father's law firm and become his boss and like destroy his life or whatever. By rebelling against her father or by like taking this position against her father, she's 
allowing her father to guide her life through his absence. Like, his presence is felt through his absence. And that's an underlying assumption that she just has in the world that she can't get over. And so even though, like, she says she wants to go into corporate law, but clearly she, like, Catherine Breakspear is her hero and Catherine Breakspear has a reputation for being more of a human rights or, like, environmentalist or just, like, bullying the bullies. So it sounds like that's more of what she actually wants out of life. But she's letting her the retribution that she wants to wage over her father guide her decisions. Yeah. All right. And because she can't get over that, she needs creative thinking to think outside of that box. So, right. If we take that angle, she does. But what do you got for Bradley? How does he have commitment issues? I guess like what our interpretation of commitment is. Like, right. I think his character journey is like at the very end, he needs to be like, here's who I am. And this is what I want to be. And I'm not living for other people anymore. And so maybe it's a commitment to himself. Yeah. And he's overly committed to other people. It, 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 that doesn't match my idea of what commitment means. Right. Because he also has, like, we can find a lot of evidence for his self-knowledge. Like, his whole, the way he processes his OCD is self-knowledge and, like, required a commitment to self to get there. I mean, maybe it's, like, a commitment to the outdoor adventure that they're in. and Because he is sort of just there. And he hates it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. He wears, like, fashion tracksuits right. and then goes through, like, OCD attacks. Right. He's really only there um, by accident. Like, he felt bad about breaking Celine's ankle and went to the thing and then realized he could get a full scholarship and joined. So it might be a comment on his commitment. Even he was confused by it. I think when he says, for some reason, my lowest score was commitment, he says, like, I guess. Like, I, I'm not sure how I can get better there. But also at the very end of the book, when he wins the Explorer Award, they're like, he basically got like a 4.9. So it's possible it was his lowest score, but it was like a 4. Oh, yeah. He scored a 4.5. That was his lowest. Yeah. And he's like clearly committed to his writing. He keeps on opening up those Google Docs and writing more. Well, I guess maybe that's the thing. Is like Bradley starts a lot of things, but he doesn't finish a lot of things. Mm, right. There is that fear within him that is prevents him from taking that step with Celine. That prevents him from finishing a full draft, right. from telling his dad he wants to major in English and not be a lawyer. Okay, this is I like this because that is like a four point five. Yeah. Like he is committed to a lot of things, but just the the going the one last step, the standing up to Dono when he's being a jerk. Yeah, he doesn't live his values one hundred percent. Yeah. Speaking of Dono, I thought there was going to be like a proper like love triangle stakes there, and there were not. No. It just disappeared. Yeah, it did feel like the beginning chapters were setting something up, and then Dono just sort of fell off the... He just fell off, and the only time he reappears is to play the antagonist. Yeah, because especially there's, like, the brief moment of, like, humanization that we have later on where he's like, well, Dono's bad, but I know about his home life, and it's terrible, and Bradley's thinking this, and he's like, he could be way worse than this. Right. Right. And I was going to thinking like that plus he's super hot and Bradley has a crush on him means that there would be stakes in him like wanting to be a mediator in this situation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't happen at all. No, he's really there almost just a character like he's a foil for Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's like a site for Bradley to show his values. And so he's overly accommodating. Which, let's let's talk about that for a second, how he's overly accommodating. Because I found that to be the, like, if the two protagonists are foils for each other as well, like, if we're going to double those two, 
They're defined by Celine pushing people away and Bradley unable to push people away. So, like, he's overly accommodating and she's overly insulting or aggressive or off-putting. And, like, obviously they both have their reasons for this. Like, Celine pushes people away or fails to, you know, accommodate for anybody because she's got abandonment issues from her father leaving her. And he never wants to lose any friends because he feels deep down that he's a big weirdo because of his neurodivergence. And when he lost Celine as a friend, he was like, I'm just not going to do that anymore. So he's just too nice and too kind all the time to everybody and lets them be mean um, without, without any consequences. And so that's like a really interesting dichotomy where like one pushes people away actively, the other one holds them too tight, and then they have to figure out a way to talk to each other yeah which obviously like shows up in how their friendship initially breaks up right where he is trying to feel like more normal and fit in a little bit more and then he he tries to like create a mediated environment where like Celine come hang out with like all of my new friends because I'm enjoying playing football and she just talks about a ton of conspiracy theories and he's like hey like maybe don't lead with that and her interpretation is like, you're telling me to squash myself. Yeah. And his interpretation of her is like, that she is not being accommodating or accepting of others or like thinking of the broader group, which is why I think she guessed that her team building score was going to be low, but then she got like a five in team building. Yeah. Well, you know, she threw the party for Aurora. So yeah. Breaking rules, building teams. <laughs> that was another place I thought the narrative was going. Like I thought, you know, they break rules, but then you find out that that's good actually that building team and whatever but really that was not they never really addressed the working outside of the law team building that the two of them did yeah maybe this is because i've read too many like fantasy novels or like uh, speculative fiction novels like hunger games i thought the challenges were going to be a lot crazier yeah i thought that was going to be central too to the thing but i really had a hard time even understanding what was going on in the challenges it was like find some compasses Look in the trees. Right. Or like why so many people dropped out. I think the question is like, why did so many people drop out? The first weekend did not seem that bad. Yeah. It's just camping. I mean, camping does suck. I would have dropped out after the first night too. I would mean, I wouldn't have signed up. Yeah. (laughs) But if you're going to sign up, it seems like this is potentially for a full ride scholarship. But I guess that what the person who they know who drops out, he's like very rich. Yeah. And so he doesn't need it as much. It was still... An engaging book, but I really thought that that's just where I thought the narrative was going, that each chapter was going to revolve around a task and there was going to be a lot of trusting each other and going through something hard. And then that was just, I mean, they still went through hard things, but it wasn't related to the camping adventure. Right. Like each chapter is going to be like commitment. And then they like learn about commitment. Right. And they do a task. Yeah. yeah. And then it turns out like one of the students is actually like an adult counselor who's been like judging them the entire time yeah no that's literally exactly what i thought one thing that i thought was going to happen because they talk about like how you help your peers i thought there was gonna be more evaluation by your peers and there was gonna be like a miscongeniality ending where it's like your peers all said blah 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 and like they would have like things where they were writing out things around those peers and like celine was like learning how to make friends and like it seems like celine just got friends yeah (laughs) She's built up in the whole beginning part of the novel as somebody that is going to be too weird to have friends. And that's okay because she's so fully herself that it doesn't matter. But she was actually quite good at making friends. There were all these moments where I thought the book was going to go into a certain direction or have like a certain recurring theme and it just didn't. Yeah. 
I wonder if there's a way to do a sympathetic reading of this, like that it's on purpose. That there's like a lot of ghost ships that the directions that it could have taken, but that they didn't. Is that at all thematically relevant? <laughs> if this is like, like, like a postmodern reading or something, like it starts off with like the thing they have in common, Bradley and Celine, is they're in philosophy class together. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm going to have to discuss Voltaire for a semester with Bradley. And then the very first lesson is about theism. Mm. And I was like, where is this going? Especially to a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. That's basically discussing philosophy to a certain extent. Right. It's about the nature of truth. Also, like, philosophy is so linked to the law Mm -hmm. that I thought, like, that was going to come into play. And then we never got watch their philosophy cast ever again. (laughs) Right. So another one of those little ghost ships is that I thought Catherine Breakspear was going to be terrible. Um, Like, that she's going to be the hero and it's one of those, like, never meet your heroes kinds of moments. But no, she was she was fine. Yeah, she's like she's like I don't care that you fell off a cliff. Here's a full ride scholarship. Or I don't care that you were really upset that your friend fell off a cliff. I'm gonna give you an internship, even though you want to do corporate law, and I don't do that. Right. Um. Almost like she knew that uh, Selena's gonna have the realization that maybe she doesn't want to do corporate law. Maybe she wants to actually see what life as Catherine Breakspear is like. Yeah. Her I want song in like the first chapter is something like. Catherine Breakspear is the blueprint. I just need to follow this blueprint and then I'll be successful. And she only says she wants to be a a corporate lawyer because of the revenge fantasy with her father. Yeah. What do you think this book is saying about how both characters start off wanting to be lawyers? And at the end, they're like, eh, maybe not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we know from really early on that Bradley doesn't really want to be a lawyer, that he's he wants to be a lawyer only because he thinks that he's a terrible writer. So we, we do get that pretty early. And so we, we know that that's going to be his journey. That's like a, an intuition that we had at the beginning of the novel that actually does play out. Like, that's how it works. So I think we saw that coming. But yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, they both are high-functioning students. They're doing the thing that they're supposed to do. I guess that's part of it, right? It's like, at the end of the day, they're teenagers. So even though Celine is fully self-actualized weirdo that is uncompromising in her sense of self, there's still a gravitational pull towards high-status jobs like being a lawyer, especially if she wants her father to be so proud of her that it ruins his life. Like, that's uh, that's, that's her goal. She needs to, like, play the game of high-status. Like, who are smart people? Like, what does an occupation smart people have? Lawyer. Do that. There's that interesting moment where they're all talking with their Breakspear friends, and it's like, oh, what do you want to do after this? And everyone is like, I want to be an artist. I want to, like, change the world. And Bradley's like, oh, no one is just trying to, like, get a job that's a good, stable job. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen this narrative trope, like, throughout all the books that we've read. Like, especially, like, She Gets the Girl, where it's like, yeah, why be pre-med? Follow your bliss. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much money you make. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're a doctor. Instead, make pottery. Who cares? Yeah. And then also the idea that, like, Catherine Breakspear can help all these people become like leaders in their field through camping feels very much just like that Maureen Johnson book we read where it's like class sizes are like 20 people but one person's a proper singer <laughs> yeah yeah one person right, wrote a novel when they were 15 yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's like no one school where you're gonna get like the right training where everyone can become a specialist yeah in these premier skills 
through this one activity. Right. All these books seem to operate in a world beyond capitalism, like in a post-scarcity world where we don't actually need doctors and, I don't know, people with with jobs and everybody can just like live in a, a world where they make pottery and write books and hang out. And that's cool. Maybe that's why we like these books is that they're like, yeah, just do your do your passion. Yeah. I mean, I think that in this book, it's far more developmentally appropriate than in the last book, Happy Place, where it's like, girl, you have student loans. Get your ish together. <laughs> right. Bradley actually calls that out directly, I think. Yeah. He says something about like, oh, you know, if they're on this thing and they win the scholarship, they won't have the student loans. And so these are the types of jobs that people would want. And, to, you know, it would be great if you didn't have student loans that came along with them. Yeah. Also, they're in England. The student loans thing isn't as wild as it is in the States. And I think that was also where I was getting tripped up is I'm like, most people I know who go to law school probably did major in English. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's an American thing. Right. You have to go straight. Yeah. That, like, didn't make any sense to me. I was like, yeah, you major in English and then you get take the LSAT and then you apply to law school. I, like, don't understand what your problem is. <laughs> right. Yeah, try the creative writing thing. Do it as an undergrad. When you realize it doesn't work, then go and be a lawyer. Yeah, I don't I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. As long yeah. as your LSAT score is high enough, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So long as you study hard enough. That's what we learned from Legally Blonde. I want to bring it back to the want versus need for both of them. So, like, right away, Celine says, like, I want to follow Catherine Breakspear's blueprint. I want to destroy my father. That's what she ostensibly wants. And then her, like, obstacles to that are, like, her abandonment issues that she can't, she doesn't understand the underlying premise to bring back what Catherine Breakspear said to her. She doesn't understand the underlying premise behind her motivations. And if she understood that motivation, then she could actually figure out what she needs. And so, like, what is the realization at the end? What does she actually need? I mean, what she needs is, like, a connection with other human beings. And I think that's what she learns throughout the book. Right. Yeah. That comes back to what you were saying earlier with the, uh, like the, their original fight, the origin story of their fight, which was essentially the tension between the love of yourself and the love of other people. And he is trying to find this balance between the two where she's like, I'm just fully going to love myself and I'm going to be as weird as possible and do the things that I want to do. And if people don't like it, then that's okay. I'm okay being lonely. But, like, what she actually needs is to, like, love other people and to, like, let herself love other people. And trust other people. I think that's, like, the big thing. And mm. when Bradley puts up his list of, like, how I'm going to get Celine to be my girlfriend, like, step two is, like, get Celine to trust me. Yeah, true, true. I did have a highlighted section near the end for Celine um, where she is realizing that there are people that unconditionally love her and won't, won't leave her, like her mother and Giselle. And so even though she's got these issues with her father, like that she has failed to see past them towards and to the people who won't do that to her. And when she's describing them, she says that that they are audacious with their love and that's who she wants to be, um, not afraid of her feelings, but fired up by them. And I think that like is a pretty good recognition of what her need is at the end. That she needs to be audacious with her feelings and like let herself like extend to other people and let her the love that she has for herself extend to other people audaciously. Yeah. And I think that if we like go back to like what unlocks her character journey and like her needs here, like that initial fight of Bradley being like, 
you need to think about other people. Like it's not just about like your random conspiracy theories. Yeah. Like I think about the moments that like unlock her in the book, like when she throws the birthday party for Aurora, her roommate. Right. It's like when she starts being able to take care of other people. Right. When she's able to take care of other people, then she's able to recognize when other people take care of her. Yeah, yeah. Right. Her birthday party for Aurora is in some ways like being audacious with her feelings because it was like breaking a rule in a competition that means a lot to her. There's a risk involved with that. But she was like, I'm going to make this person feel special on her birthday. If we did the same thing with Bradley, like the things he wants at the beginning of the novel are he wants to be a writer. He doesn't want to lose any more friends. The things that are preventing him from getting there are his OCD, the fear that people, when they get to know his full self are going to think he's a weirdo because that's what Celine said to him in their fight that once people get to really know him they'll see how strange he is but like what is his realization like I actually had a much harder time coming up with what his realization is at the end like what is it that he realizes he actually needs because he he's pretty grounded he's a 4.9 like I mean he, he is a 4.9 I mean we're talking about like <laughs> We're going through different character journeys, and it's okay. Like, we, we want to help 4.9s get to 5s. Yeah, yeah. The thing I keep coming around for uh, Bradley is the idea of balance, mm. which comes up early when he and Celine are talking, and she, like, punches him on the shoulder. And then she pauses, and she's like, oh, and then she punches him on the other shoulder. Um, and I guess this is part of, like, when they were friends as children, like, his early OCD was, like, he needed to always feel balanced. Everything he does is a coping mechanism to feel balanced. Mm. And so there's an element of like he has become out of balance because he has focused so much on other people as a way to not like bring attention to himself and to control his own like obsessive thoughts. It's like if I can if I can bring my attention outward, then I can keep going without being distracted by like my own intrusive thoughts. Right, yeah, that's that's really insightful, especially the way that like that, that that actually adds a narrative purpose to his OCD that it it gives a cohesion to the rest of the narrative if we think about it like that. That's really good, and that makes a lot of sense because towards the end of the novel, it's like the things he does that are true to himself are he tells Celine how he feels, he opens up to her that he tries to write sometimes and like exposes that part of himself that he sees as his greatest failure. He like shows it to somebody. And telling his father that he doesn't want to be a lawyer. Like, these are all things that he he deep down thinks are going to be disappointments. And so he hides them in order to be accommodating and, like, hides those parts of himself to be accommodating. And so, yeah, he's been out of balance. He hasn't, like, let his self into the world. So what he needs is to show the world his full self and, like, see that people will love him anyway. I think that was also where I was wondering where his bisexuality theme was going. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he's just all all balanced. Right, but I couldn't tell how like out he was. Yeah, his his crush on Dono. It's very unclear whether or not that was a secret crush or right, or even like, did Dono know about it? Did his best friend Jordan know about it? I couldn't tell. But I I thought that was another part of like this theme about balance that was going to come up that didn't quite end up landing for me. Well, do you want to try looking at a paper two question? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Here's a, a paper two question we can start off with. A writer may speak in his or her own voice or take on the voice of a character or persona. Comparing two or three works you have studied um, in light of this statement, discuss what effects those choices have on each work as a whole. So this question is about a narrative voice. 
and it's about a writer speaking in his or her own voice or adapting a character's persona. And I think this is a good question for this book because the, the author's note at the end says that um, she also struggles with OCD, and so she aspired to be Bradley in it. So we could talk about her being neurodivergent and speaking in her own voice, but also it's like an aspirational voice and the interesting nature of that. In general, there was like a very idealized sort of journey for both Bradley and Celine. The book started off creating a couple of different obstacles that I thought were going to have a basically bigger difficulty in the book, but ended up not having as much. So the first being Bradley's OCD. It was like, I mean, of all the people that I know have OCD, this is like the most, <laughs> he's like, I figured out my meds. I know my coping mechanisms. I've been to a lot of therapy. He's like incredibly like highly functioning which is really remarkable when you're a teenager with that many hormones and like cognitive distortions that are being thrown at you all the time. Right. Especially because his body is changed. Like he's 17, yeah. his brain is changing, his body, chem- his brain chemistry is changing and he still is figuring it all out. Yeah. Um, and so there's like this idealized thing about Bradley. Um, Celine brings up at the beginning, like her own concerns about being black in the UK and how that could impact her success. And there's also all the things about like, her not having a lot of money growing up and her dad abandoning her and like all of these things that they're like, oh, these things are going to be big themes and big obstacles later. But in many ways, they like end up being something that is like a a hiccup, but you're able to like overcome them by the end. Mm -hmm. And like Celine is able to get an amazing internship with her black super boss lady mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, and like show how real, how like real mentorship actually happens where like when you're able to lift up people who are like similar to yourself and also marginalized, which is why I thought Catherine was going to be like a lean in sort of feminist, Mm -hmm. um, at the end and be like, no, like I, I compromise myself. You have to compromise yourself. And Selena's going to learn to be like, no, like I don't have to be like that generation of feminism or like black professionalism around like, we have to be more like white people. We have to be more like men for white feminism. I definitely thought that was where her story was going. For Bradley, I thought there was going to be a lot more things around how he struggles with OCD, especially with the camping stuff, were going to make it pretty much impossible for him to do anything. And then he was going to learn through his relationship with Celine and Celine taking care of him. Like that was going to be a bigger thing. When the author at the very end is talking like, oh no, this is a very intentional choice to have an idealized portrayal of OCD that I aspire to. I think I'm coming around on it. Yeah. I think I like, I, I think like, what 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 do we as a reader want? What do, what does a teen potentially having OCD or in this challenge just want? Is, it might be like this idealized portrayal. Yeah, especially in a, in, in this genre, right? Like there, this is a cozy romance YA novel where you know you're going to go from enemies to lovers. You know that like the worst things that happen are going to happen at particular beats. I like the idea that art can be this cathartic space for the author to show an aspirational version of something that she struggles with and like model model what this could potentially look like for people that are struggling with it. And similar to Celine with the with the daddy abandonment issues, like show how somebody can productively move on from this stuff and like model that kind of behavior. Like the advice she gets from her sister is really great advice for anybody that is feeling any sort of situation like that where they're letting somebody's abandonment of, of them guide their life and as a, as a response to somebody's absence. Yeah, I mean, this genre for this age group and having this, these uh, model examples are good. 
I also really liked the way that she wrote Bradley's voice. Like, I, I thought that his voice was really strong. Like, there were paragraphs that would begin one way and just end a completely different way, showing his flow of conscious word association with things. I'll read one. Like I thought, Holly and Rebecca are there, with Zion just arriving, yet already making terrible suggestions. And a load of campers milling behind them at a distance. I can see Raj raking his hands through his hair way too hard. He's lucky he has so much of it, or he'd be at risk of going bald. Sometimes I worry about going bald myself. But Dad still has hair, so I'm probably safe. Of course, his hairline is slightly questionable. Not that anyone notices, since he keeps it so short. Maybe that's what I want to do. But I think Celine likes my hair long. I turn to her. Do you like my hair? <laughs> so, like, it just begins one way and, like, it just, associations go off and things go crazy. It's, like, really cute, his whole flow of conscious style throughout the entire book. Yeah. And then they have very, like, Celine and Brad have distinct voices. For sure. Celine's is really aggressive, like, in all caps, kind of. And she goes on tangents, too, particularly when she's talking about her father. Um, she'll just, like, go off on a rage spiral and then bring it back. And Bradley never goes on rage spirals. He's too gentle of a man <laughs> to go on rage spirals. Instead, he goes on these kinds of spirals. What are your thoughts on Bradley being a sci-fi writer in particular? And maybe about Celine being a conspiracy theorist and believing in UFOs. Right. That's really interesting. Both of them have these fantasy worlds that they're creating or that they're attempting to live in. Like Celine. How dare you? UFOs and aliens are real. <laughs> I think this was imagining what those things are like which is a is a fantasy world mm -hmm. i mean both of them are looking to escape the reality that they're in to some degree like bradley's suppression of himself and his feeling that nobody will like him um needs a creative escape that he can you know science fiction is a is a genre that accommodates neurodivergence because it often will look at cultures that are different and like finding a way to love the the differences between those things like i feel like this is becky chambers whole project is showing us ways of loving people who have bodies and values and ways of expressing themselves that are different than ours and so sci-fi is like a realm for that and that's exactly what he needs that's like what he is looking for through this novel so that might be why he's so into um, sci-fi. Celine with the conspiracy theories, I feel like she says this somewhere pretty directly. Or maybe she is unaware that she's saying it, but she says something about how when her father first left, she had to come up with a story about how he was abducted and brainwashed or whatever. And this is her, her, like she recognized this in like a metacognition kind of way. This is the way her brain worked is that she needed a story to help things make sense. And so she gets obsessed with the conspiracy theories. Yeah. And, and obsessed with truth. Because at one point later on, she's like, oh, I've had this idea that, like, there are two Bradleys this entire time. Right? It's like yeah. the Bradley that I knew and then this new Bradley that was, like, popular yeah. and, like, didn't care about me. Right. And it's like, no, the truth is out there. But it's, like, also, like, in this reality <laughs> that you are currently in. Yeah. So I think that our thesis would be something like... In this novel, the writer adopts the voice of her ideal self through the character of Bradley and then uses both protagonists to model paths towards self-acceptance. And then we can obviously use both Bradley and Celine as two case studies about modeling a path toward self-realizations, self-acceptance. So the other thing about this novel is 
we were talking earlier before we started recording about Sally Rooney's normal people. And I feel like this book also does a similar thing where it's like both of them have their rough edges. I mean, Bradley's rough edges are more just him hiding um, his true self, but they both have elements of themselves that like prohibit them from having real meaningful relationships where they can see and be seen by somebody else. And through the course of the novel, they basically wear each other down so that they can participate in that kind of a relationship together. Um, and that's the same kind of thing that happens in normal people, except that's more about power dynamics between the two of them. And so I think we can build an essay around that, like a thesis like this, take Bradley first, then Celine, and then show how they model care for each other by the end. Yeah. And I think modeling care, there's also that element of like, how you're able to use like interactions between people, or even let's say that they're both within the author's brain. She's like, these are two parts of myself, Right. how they're able to talk to each other in order to help you balance yourself out mm. and like to name a distortion and a counter argument to it. Yeah. Because they're able to get that in conversation, right? Like Celine is able to balance out Bradley. Bradley is able to open up Celine. Yeah. It's like self-talk to the author. <laughs> In these two different characters. <laughs> right, right, right. And Bradley models self-talk yeah. just on his yeah. own. Well, he's been to a lot of therapy and Celine hasn't, so. Yeah. yeah. All right. What do you want to read for our 26th episode? Shut up. Oh, my gosh. Because this is number 25. <laughs> that means we've been doing this for two years. I don't know. We've missed like one month in the, in the time that we've done this. Oh, my gosh. Wait, what is what do you get for your 25th anniversary? Anniversary gift. This is our silver anniversary. Yeah. And we've lived abroad for six years now. That's crazy. I have been in the Bay for that amount of time. (laughs) But now I've taken up pottery and you've taken up pottery. So really, what's the difference? Mm. Yeah. We're just in our happy places. Exactly. Um, I think we should stay in our happy places. Let's let's continue this rom-com vibe. Wait. I think I know where you're going with this. Where am I going? I've been reading the reviews. There is a book that's called Romantic Comedy, right? So you want to read that one then? Yeah, let's keep this vibe going. It seems a good read has a summary that says, A comedy writer thinks she's sworn off love until a dreamily handsome pop star flips the script. On all her assumptions, Romantic Comedy is a hilarious, observant, and deeply tender novel from New York Times bestselling author Curtis Sittenfeld. Curtis Sittenfeld's entire career has been wild to me we'll talk about this next time okay cool because i don't i don't know a lot about it (laughs) um it seems to be about like a uh an snl type show and there's gonna be romance and i'm down with this i really loved studio 60 on the sunset strip that was really good 30 rock 30 rock Uh, they're both very good i we (laughs) we don't need to argue about this they're both very good shows no i'll always argue against aaron sorkin (laughs) All right. Yeah, anyways, it's a great premise. Yeah, it's a great premise. It's created great literary art, the mocking of SNL. Yeah, it's a, it's a fertile situation for a good book. So let's read that one. Yeah, I'm so excited. Literary Connections is hosted by me, James Earl, and Melissa Hansen, and we're produced by Kimberly Johnson. You can follow us on Twitter at lit underscore connections. Join us next month when we will be reading Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. See you then. See you then. I don't know what this thesis exercise is. No. (laughs) Have we done this before?